will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. What's going on, everybody? It's Blandon here from Leverage Addict Podcast. Welcome to another episode. And today I have Andrew sitting across me again, and we will be talking about four ways of leveraging into a business because Andrew, this is his favorite topic. He always like no money down deals, no money down deals, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, what, what excites me is building and growing businesses. And so many people think you either got to start from scratch or you have to buy a business, but you got to pay cash. And that's, that's disheartening to me because there's so many other ways. And yeah. if you haven't read about them or learned about them from somebody or somewhere, then it can seem very frustrating and like impossible. But having bought some businesses, no money down, and even with, with very creative terms, happy to, happy to share. And that's what I'm excited about. And I, I like teaching about it and talking about it because it helps me with my ideas as well. Perfect. And it's, it's great to also know that we have done these kind of deals for our clients. So, so we'll be going over some of the case studies. But first, before we dive into it, we're going to talk about the reason why you would consider buying or leveraging into a business. Well, for me, if you look at properties, because I always talk about properties, if you buy a property, perhaps if you're hitting that 10% cash flow mark or gross yield, it's already considered as a very high return. But if you're buying a typical SME in New Zealand, and Andrew thinks about much bigger deals, but I'm just talking about, you know, your chipmunks or your, um, I guess, more high-end cafe that can charge a premium or potentially even like a, a laundromat, you're looking at anywhere between 20 25% return. Sometimes if you get it on a slightly bigger discount, it might even be 33%. So what I'm trying to say is essentially if you buy a business for $450,000, you might see $140,000 in net profit. And it's very important to distinguish though, when we talk about this return, it has to be based on the net profit after all of the operation costs. So sometimes a lot of the small business owner, they might sell a business, but they say, oh, it's 150 k profit, but that is what they pay themselves. So that is not necessarily the kind of return you want to look for because it's an operating uh, operating expense, which is not actually profits. Yeah, you you really got to distinguish if you're looking to buy a business or be involved with a business. Are you looking to direct that business as an owner director? So strategically, you're giving a lot of input and you're overseeing the numbers and the financials, and maybe you're involved with hiring and firing things like that. But day to day, you're not managing that business. So you're directing, not managing. On the alternatives. If you're buying a business where the manager director is leaving, then you are signing up to manage that business. It's a very, very different um, prospect. And as long as you know what you're in for from the beginning, you want to work out your return after your time and effort. So if you're only paying yourself, say, $60,000 as part of managing that business, um, but in reality, to replace yourself as the manager, it would be 120000 It's It's a bit of a fool's game. 
Um, so just understand the difference between managing and directing and um, that will come down to what industry you choose and the size of the investment you're looking to make. Definitely very important because there have been many, many cases where a client might bring us a deal like, hey, you know, this, this business is selling at 4x or 5x of the net profit, but the net profit is actually what it costs them if they were in that role. So, all right. So jumping into the first method of buying a business using leverage or using low to no money down, what do you have for us, Andrew? Yeah, so I just want to strongly reinforce the reasons for buying a business. So we want to diversify our income source, even if we are in a strong industry or we've got a good job, it doesn't hurt to have diversity of income. And that might be diversity of location or industry or um, diversification of how you spend your time. And then the second thing is so we can have more income to increase our borrowing power to keep making more investments. And you've got to deploy your cash into something, whether that's businesses or properties. We're trying to maximize and protect our our investments and our optionality. So, you know, I've got business in chemicals industry and in the finance industry. There's very, very low correlation between those businesses. It gives me good diversity of income and experiences, and it gives me ways to grow one industry or one business where the other is quiet and vice versa. Um, so having um, been getting into the chemicals industry again, having spent time in, the, uh, in that game in the past, I have bought into quite a big business. Uh, originally it was $5 million business uh, in terms of revenue, and I used some debt to, to buy into that business. And so my, my first kind of method of buying a business or buying into a business is using debt, obviously. Now, if there's a business broker involved, which I tend to avoid, they're going to want you to come and pay with cash and for the deal to be done quickly. But the reality is most people don't have that cash sitting around. Mm -hmm. So you have to think creatively about how to buy the business. And using debt is the common way to buy a business. And there's, there's four kind of high-level uh, levels of debt or uh, types of debt. You've got your bank debt. You're going to the bank, you're putting your property up as security. Um, and I would even under there, I, I would call bank slash lender. That's personal loans. It's it's secured and unsecured loans. That's when you're taking out debt in your name and you're using a guarantee so that uh, you can buy that business and the, the person that's selling it walks away with cash. So just expanding on that, because that's a really important point, because a lot of the business deals that we do end up doing might be that kind of structure where someone has built enough equity in their property and they can go back to the bank to top up. Now, to make sure that they're not using all of the equity, we can actually structure the deal this way, which is a portion of it, perhaps 50% or 40% is a top up on their property. And then the remaining portion, we would get a business loan through a bank like Heartland, where they would offer perhaps 50 to 60% of the business and they put a security over the business. And that way they're not using all of their equity in their property and they're able to keep building their portfolio. Now, if you just think of it this way, if you have a big portfolio already, if you bought a property management business that has 100K income, perhaps you can buy that for 500,000, but your borrowing capacity might increase by more than a million because of that new business income that you have acquired. So give us a second one, Andrew. 
Yep. So we got um, on the debt side of things, we have got bank and 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 private le- uh, and um, professional lending companies, but we've also got vendor finance. So that means the person or people that are selling you the business, they can lend you some or all of the money to buy that business off them. And why would they do this? Maybe they like you. Maybe you're the only buyer. Maybe you're offering the most out of all of the options that I've got. There's many reasons why somebody would sell you their business and lend you all the money to take it off their hands. They might have other business interests. They might have uh, health issues. They might be moving country. They might have had a divorce. There's many reasons why a business owner in that time is looking to part ways with that business. And if you're the only option or the best option, they might just lend you the money. And they might lend you the money for a month for you to get the finance arranged. They might lend you the money for 10 years to get the um, to take over the business. And they might uh, do it with a security or some general security agreement over the business. There's many different ways to think about it. But generally speaking, when I'm meeting a business owner and I'm talking about buying their business or buying into it, I'm starting with on the premise that they are going to lend me the money to buy it. And and it's simply because, hey, I'm, I'm leveraged in other areas. I'm looking after my cash, especially in the market that we've got. And if the business is as good as you say it is, me paying you back shouldn't be an issue. And so it really puts the onus back on them to not oversell the opportunity because they know if they're telling fibs, then you're not actually going to be able to pay them back. Um, so it's it's a great way to build trust and to bring that into the negotiation and, and work on the same side of the table because essentially you're partnering with them. You're taking one burden away from them um, and then assuming uh, a loan basically to pay them back. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's the second side of using debt. Now, the third side is is asset finance. So if you're buying a business that has assets, you know, forecoists, uh, stock, um, things on shelves that uh, a lender will lend against, you can take possession of the business and start financing some of the more tangible things to release cash, and that will help you either pay the business off at that time or capitalize the business so there's actually money in the account to run the business and grow the business. Now, a lot of businesses that I'm looking at, it's pretty common that older people own them, they got the, the mentality of, of not using much debt and they've certainly got the mentality of taking money out of the business. They're at that stage of life where it's about dividends, it's about cash out. Whereas if you're younger or uh, your business um, acumen is a stage where you, you are willing to grow a business, growth costs money. So if you have a business that's seriously underfunded, you can't grow the business. So even using asset finance or stock finance or just financing on something tangible, the bank will release money for you. You can then grow the profitability of that business without you know, taking money out in the short term. Um, so that's you know, what I've done with my one of my chemicals businesses. Put in an overdraft of um, about 700000 and that has allowed the business to buy triple the amount of stock as usual. So in a tight market, we've had stock and our competitors haven't, and we've won new clients as a result. So it's just thinking differently about using debt in the business. And then uh, you should be able to, as a, as a fourth channel with debt, use private finance. And private finance is maybe it's your family 
or your friends or your colleagues or even potentially managers that are currently in the business. They're investing their cash in the business deal that you're trying to do off the back of co the confidence they have in the deal that you're presenting. So how do you get a private investor involved? You have to show them the pros and cons of the deal, you know, an investor prospectus or some spreadsheets and a, and a, a slide deck and why that they should put money into your deal. So you can go and say buy a million dollar business, you might put a hundred thousand in and you're asking a private investor to put 900,000 in and you might be taking 10% um, but plus an upside of the profit on the business that you're buying. Now that, that private investor that's putting the 900,000 in, they're gonna wanna see at least 15, 20% return on their money and they're gonna wanna see security some form of security. So you're going to have to understand how the, the numbers work and get um, your spreadsheets ready. And, and that's where if you're, for example, you're a lawyer and you have no hospitality experience and you're saying that you want to buy a restaurant or a cafe and you, you take that opportunity to an, a private investor, why should they do that deal? You have no knowledge of, of that industry. So you have to be able to answer those questions up front that if you're going to tap the shoulder of, of father-in-law or mother-in-law and, and use their money, you have to be ready for those hard questions. And I think that you've got experience in that, Blandon. <laughs> so a good friend of mine, actually, Michael, um, he structured his uh, gym this way, which is essentially he looked for gyms that had more than 25% return on cash. Yeah. Um, so essentially what that means, if they buy a property, uh, sorry, a business for 400,000, they might have at least a hundred thousand net cash flow, And that means it's 25% return. So then what he wanted was to bring on some silent partners. Okay. And silent partners, meaning they don't need to do anything. So their return is not going to be 25%. Obviously, just like what Andrew is saying, they perhaps only need 15% return on their money. And because this deal uh, is giving you 25%. So uh, then Michael is able to perhaps sell some of those shares and give them 15% return. And obviously you can see that really quickly, he would only have to put very little money in to own a much larger share in the business and get a much higher return on their own money. So this is a very much a real life example of what Andrew is talking about. And he'll be paying himself a salary as assuming the director's duties. He'll be doing a bit of the managing himself. He'll be using his you know, spare time, so to speak, to manage those businesses. He'll be getting a return as a employee, but also as a shareholder. And that's kind of the way to go. You want to watch your egg basket closely, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I think the, the thing that I missed out in uh, with this particular deal is that, well, actually Michael don't want to give up as much shares. So then he could actually fund 50% of the deal on leverage. So he would borrow debt against that business and then just raise around 45% cash. And he only have to put a very, very small portion of the cash in. Yeah. So uh, number two strategy is using an earnout. So what is an earnout? Now, most businesses, uh, especially through a business broker, they're sold as a multiple of their EBITDA. Now, what is an EBITDA? It's basically the profit at the end of the financial year. And if you're buying through a business broker, that profit 
on the financials, the finalized financials, is not going to be the EBITDA that is presented to you from a business broker. Usually what a business broker is going to do is adjust it. And they're going to take out what they call the proprietor's income. And they're going to they're gonna make it look like it's the most profitable thing you've ever seen in your life. Um, and then you've got to make sure you've got the actual financials that you're working with to see what the real unadjusted EBITDA is. Because most things that they're adjusting out are actual real recurring costs. It might not be the same thing every year. One year it might be consultancy. The next year it might be a, like a payout from a, an ex-employee. The next year it might be a legal cost. The next year it might be an IT cost. Um, and then there might be something that's maintenance that was a one-off cost. Now these business owners and, and business brokers can get very creative adjusting EBITDA numbers. What's the point of all this? You want to get as close to the EBITDA uh, number as possible. There's a real number and understand the adjustments because they can work both ways. You can start adjusting down where they want to adjust up. And and, uh, and earn out, instead of paying based on historical performance, that's what most business owners and brokers want, earn out is using future performance to uh, help formulate the value of the business. So let's say a business has been doing 100,000 profit relatively consistency uh, consistently for the last five years and you pay 3x of that EBIT, then you would be expected to pay 300000 for that business. But if you pay on an earnout, and let's say the business starts doing $80,000 a year, um, things happen, maybe there was undisclosed issues um, that th there was no warranty in place with that, that vendor, over the next three years, you only doing eighty thousand instead of hundred thousand. You might readjust the price that you're paying down to three x of that eighty thousand, and you're only paying two forty instead of three hundred. It's very very important uh, to get that right, and this is where you can start saying things to business owners like, "Hey, if the business doesn't perform anywhere near what you're saying it is going to perform, what, no, are you not confident?" And you start having those conversations about why are you not confident that the business would perform at that level? Maybe there's some key clients that you that they know are about to finish up contracts or, or switch to other providers. Maybe there's key staff members leaving. And that's why using an earnout protects everyone and that you might um, you might have a earnout that if the business does go up, that the, the, the business owner that's leaving can actually share in that gain because they've probably been working for a long time to build a mo positive momentum in the business and they're worried about missing out. There's a lot of business owners that have been investing for you know, 10, 20 years and they're like, oh, next year's going to be the year that that all pays off. You can say, hey, look, you can share. That in sounds that. like me. Yeah, there's a lot of business owners. They can share in the upside. So if you make an earn out, um, that goes both ways. So the profit in this case, instead of being a hundred thousand, goes up to say one hundred thirty thousand. They can benefit from that. So using an earnout uh, provision, and if your lawyer doesn't know about this or understand it, you need a different lawyer. Is adding in um, staff exit clauses. So for, with a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, there's one or two key staff members that are not shareholders. That if they leave 
your business that you're buying is in a lot of trouble. So you can add in clauses um, along with earn out that if those key members leave within six months or 12 months or two years, the price you pay for the business is adjusted down. Um, so you've got a provision for it up front. Does that all make sense? Nice. I think earnouts, just the way you have explained it, would you say is a rarer version of negotiation? Because if they're earning out, I mean, they might as well keep the business if it's giving them like 20, like let's say if they're selling at 5x, they're getting 20% return anyway. So the earnout must be at least like double that if, if because now you're basically saying, hey, I'm going to pay you later. Almost. And with your profits, so they would expect a much higher and It, higher might, it might be in combination, right? So in a property situation, 20% deposit, 80% loan, it might be that you're adding a component of earnout, and it might be that uh, the owner has been doing 60 hours a week for 20 years in this business. What they want is to do five hours a week. And, and what you're able to do is you bring in energy, You're bringing your hours, you're bringing your oversight, and you're bringing some capital. Perfect. So what you're what you're explaining there is basically a earnout potentially might work better if there are some ownership or stake that potentially the seller is still holding back. Yeah, I mean, you think in this scenario where, let's say, a, a guy set up a business 30 years ago, uh, none of his kids are interested in being involved in that business. He's looking for somebody with energy and a little bit of money to come along and start taking his problems away from him. And that's what you can provide. And it doesn't matter if you have no money, what you need to do is to have trust. And if you're working with a business broker on either side of the deal, they don't want the earnout. The only way that the business broker is going to allow for an earnout to happen is if their commission is paid before the earnout kicks in. Yeah. So you've got, to, you've got to understand that if you are working with a business broker or a real estate agent in any way and you're trying to be creative with financing, obviously you're looking for win-win. But if you're looking for win-win-win because there's now three parties involved, the agent's fee or the broker's fee needs to be taken into account. Yeah. And it might be that you pay from the business. Yeah. So have you ever seen those YouTube videos of like these ads of the guys like, Why build a new business? Buy an existing one. That's one of their methods, right? To look for business owners that are probably phasing out. You know, perhaps they've done their years in the industry. They're very passionate about what they do. And they just don't want to just, you know, either let the baby die or sell it for cheap. They want to have someone who's passionate about the business as well to come in. And they're more receptive to different terms. And a lot of these people, they, they leave their estate planning far too late and they get illness, uh, or cancer, or um, they, they're on a limited time frame. And so they might be very strong negotiators and against any of these types of options. But what you want to do is if they get themselves in a situation where it is too late for them to organize anything formal like this, mm -hmm. a sale process where somebody's going to come along and throw the heaps of cash at the family and everyone walks away then creativity like it does it does have to happen and yeah. and there's been plenty of instances where i've had businesses uh, with people that have had illness and they needed to they needed a way to walk away and and often they've made their money they've they've got a bunch of properties 
they just need to have their obligation for uh, their staff, their tax, their clients. They just want to take them care of. Exactly. It's not about the 1 million or 2 million cash or whatever. It's about having the legacy continue and the staff uh, looked after. So you just target the people that don't need money. That's an easier way to, you know, negotiate terms. What I do is I, I target long established businesses yeah. that are quote unquote boring because I know that younger people are generally not going to have either the capital or the interest to start in competition in those businesses. And I'm looking for people that have left their planning too late. Maybe there was key managers they had that had left that they thought they might pass the business down to. And I'm providing my industry experience and connections and coming in and solving that problem for them. Yeah, that's great. So what do we have on? So number three method is using a deferral. So a deferral is awesome for cash flow. So let's say some business owner, the million dollars, that's what they want to sell their business for. Now you can agree to their price, but they need to agree to your terms. So you don't have a million dollars, but you can see what the business is doing in terms of cash flow, profits, its ability to get funding. But there's usually like a three to six month period where cash flow is a bit tighter, mm -hmm. especially with shareholder changes. If you're having a major shareholder change at a business, they're going to draw their money out and that business is going to need to be refunded, uh, well, recapitalized. So you're either going to need bank finance, asset finance, or you're going to need to put in hard cash. So generally speaking, what I like to do is if you can work on an earn out, but it might not always get agreed to, especially if it's a really good business. Um, but if you can defer your payments, it allows you to operate that business from a strong position on day one. Because otherwise what you get is if you put your million dollars down on day one, you've got no money to fund and grow and manage that business. You can put yourself at huge risk when it comes to paying wages, uh, buying supplies, but you don't have money to grow and you might, or even to, to stabilize the business. And it might be two or three years before you're in a strong cash position again, and then you're growing the business. So what I like to say to the owner is, hey, I don't want to pay any money or very little money on the day this business changes hands. And you might provide them with like a two, three, five-year payment plan. If you are going to do a million dollars, for example, you might say, look, I'll pay you 250000 a year each year over four years. Or what is even more attractive is you might say, hey, look, I need three months before I make any meaningful payments. I'll pay you a million dollars over four years, but the first year I'll only pay you a hundred thousand, the second year two hundred thousand, the third year three hundred thousand, and I'll pay the balloon payment right at the end. And that what you're doing throughout the whole time is protecting your money, protecting your cash flow, so your business is always in a strong position. You're able to keep growing through. Um, acquisition of other businesses through stock accumulation through hiring talent basically your pitch is hey i want this business that i'm buying to be in the strongest possible position so that over this four-year period you are going to get your money and you've got to sell that that vendor on the fact that if you give them too much money now up front you won't be in a strong position and they might not get all the money they're owed and so they need to take um, some that they, they need to be patient 
Um, and 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 again, um, by deferring this and using a balloon at the end, they might want extra security. They might want to stay on as a director where they've got oversight over the numbers and the strategic operation of the business, which is actually, in my mind, a positive. You can get them away from the operations of the business where they will stifle innovation and growth, but strategically keep them involved. They've been running this business 20 years. They know things you don't know. You can keep them um, on the board, essentially paying them with business, with paying them money. You might not even have to pay them any director's fees or shareholder or employee fees. They'll just keep an interest because obviously you owe them money. So if you combine um, debt with an earnout and a deferral, you're basically using those three methods to like reduce or remove the risk on you, like incinerating your money, basically. You know that a fool and his money is easily parted, right? And if you've got a million dollars of equity or cash and you're walking around trying to buy a business, you will find a lot of things and it's tempting to say, oh, look, this business making 250,000, I get 25% return on my money. I'll put my million bucks down. And But the thing is, shit happens. Managers leave, suppliers renege, clients don't pay. It is a lot harder than you think. And so your 25% return on the year that you bought it, you might only get like 17% the next year. And so it's much easier better to have more creative terms and deals uh, because it aligns your interests yeah the day that that business owner gets all their money is probably the day you're never going to hear from them again they're going to play golf they're going to the holiday house they're going to on cruises like and good luck to them so it's uh keeping and keeping them aligned with your interests uh, for as long as possible yeah i can see a deferral play similar in a property deal. You know, often developers might want to negotiate for longer terms for settlement and they might put a very, very small portion up front. Say, for example, sometimes like 3% and then they pay another 1%, you know, every two months. And that can allow them to just stagger their cash flow because they kind of need the cash up front to get the consents done. And the reason why they have it for 12 months or 18 months is because they want to make sure that they have all the building consent ready to go. They don't have to have any downtime before they start the build and they have minimized their costs up front. So very similar methods are being deployed in properties as well. That, that, that reminds me of an extremely important point is about the buying entity is if you're signing contracts in your own name, it can come back to you no matter what and over like a long time frame. So if you're buying businesses or properties, especially as an investor, now even Blandon will be testament to this. Mate, is, just check out our episode one and you'll <laughs> know the story. Yeah, you you want to set up a company. And if you haven't done that before, it, it, it certainly seems more daunting than it really is. Company's office, it's like 15 bucks. And then uh, it's like 100, 150 bucks to register a company. You want to be signing contracts in the name of of those entities and getting legal and accounting advice as you go um, so that um, if you ever walk away from something it's it's a limited liability basically and you need to be working with a lawyer that's comfortable explaining those things to you and that you understand like why do developers pay small deposits and they buy in company names it's so that if in a year's time when they come to settle on that deal if something has changed 
there's no personal liability. They can walk away from their deposit and they'll try and make those deposits as small as possible. And then it ends there. They can wind up that company. There's no personal liability or guarantee for them. So if you're dealing with a property developer, you're selling them something, go for the personal guarantee and they'll, and I assure you they'll walk away. Yeah. And, and when you're buying a business, if you can buy in another entity or a trust that protects you. And if, if the, the vendor or the, the vendor's agent or broker is insisting on personal guarantee and all of this, you've got to be very careful that you understand the financial side of things and the risks and that you're not putting up basically all of your security from family homes and investment properties. Um, for the sake of buying a million dollar business, you're putting up five million of equity and risking everything. It's, it's, not, it's not a smart decision. Yeah. So tell us the last one, Andrew. So and it's going to wrap up for today. The last one is uh, using the client book uh, or clients of this business as, as a future payment method. So that might be through commissions or refinancing or, or through a merger with another business. But what a lot of businesses don't fairly or like easily understand is the value of their database and their clients especially um, through the lens of, of refinancing or commissions or how valuable those clients are to the competition. So if we buy, for example, in our, in our mortgage industry, another advisor's book of business and we refinance or, or cross-sell, upsell that Don't client Don't tell book, them all our tricks, come on. Then, then we, can, we can fairly work out how much those, that client base is worth. And it might be a lot more uh, than the price that we're paying. Now, if we're trying to do a deal with another advisor where we're not paying them um, any money up front, then we might offer them a share of the future success. Um, and it's the same uh, with a lot of different industries that if you merged the value of your client book into a competitor, uh, the competitor is getting economies of scale. Yeah. And you might have bought a business on 3x, um, and it's actually to the competitor worth four or five or six X because you're, you're adding uh, things together. So this is uh, when you're getting a and little And then when you, when you put enough Xs together, you get FTX. That's exactly how they did their deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got you've to understand the value of, of the clients. And it's not just about future income. It's about future potential income. And that's where you might um, buy a business that, is not the same as your current business or current industry and it's a it's a cross sell potential and you know that you can lift the cross sell from say five percent as of what it currently is to 33 percent based on your your inside knowledge and, and and what are you trying to do through any investment is you're trying to see what other people don't see you're trying to create arbitrage for yourself and and through that arbitrage your return on investment is a lot higher than the average in the market because you have that wisdom that other buyers don't have. Yeah. I, I guess maybe would you say a simplified version would be like, hey, we've got um, maybe like a burger business and we only sell them burgers and we're selling these clients at, you know, four times the profit or selling this business as four times the profit. But we have McDonald's where we'll sell them the burger, the fries, 
the drink, the happy meals, you know, the um, the ice creams and whatnot, and all of these other things that we can sell them. To them, that is worth a lot more. Well, I'll, and, give, I'll give you an example that just popped into my head. So I go to the same cafe every morning, have my breakfast. Now, if that cafe was owned by the same people or there was an arrangement that owns the pizza place next door, the pizza place could give vouchers, give discounts, give like make it super attractive for me to get pizzas from the same people, right? And if they did that, the marketing cost would be extremely small and they wouldn't be taking business away from the cafe. They'll be getting business from the same people that can obviously afford it and it would make so much sense, but they, they haven't figured that out yet. The, the pizza place and the cafe, they haven't talked to each other. They haven't done cross promotion. They've got the same client base. It's the same location. Um, so if you owned both of them, you would be able to create synergy that would unlock profit. Yeah, I guess going back to that FTX scenario is they had a lot of these businesses that has synergies and pretend when they, synergies when they when they slapped them together the, the valuation just got bigger and bigger and bigger and then they were able to leverage off that valuation yeah. uh, but you're that's dragging, in a, that's dragging, another day you're dragging me in the mud man that's another day <laughs> we we uh we might cover that another day but um that sounds like we can go out there and buy some businesses today um andrew that's what i'm doing yeah. So with those four methods, we hope that you can utilize some of it to see actually how you can expand your portfolio, how you can generate more cash flow. Um, and yeah, perhaps if you do have some ideas or you have a deal on the table that you want to discuss, then reach out. You can get in touch via email, support at mhu.co.nz. And one of our advisors can walk through your financing options on those deals. And until next time, we will talk again.